0: Final Sunday in January and finish it up. The first series of the year, Come After Me. Uh, We've talked about the call to follow and we talked about what to put down, what to pick up, and this morning we'll look at the language of unashamed. The language of unashamed. We had a great time in first service this morning and it's so good to see you out uh, in second service. And don't forget uh, in three weeks, on February 17th, we have a combined service at 11 o'clock, and yeah, so I hope you'll invite your friends. We will have uh, invite cards that you will be able to use uh, the next couple of weeks for Public Servants Day. If you know somebody who's a paramedic, uh, firefighter, nurse, uh, city councilman, uh, county employee, whatever it is, uh, we want you to invite all of them to come, and we've, we even invited the coroner to come. So there you go. It's a good thing, right? Uh, But we're excited about Public Servants Day coming up. Uh, Just something to think about. 74 years ago today, the last concentration camps were liberated. uh, Auschwitz and some of the others. And today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And all across the world, there is a growing percentage of people who have never been taught about the Holocaust, or they deny it ever happened. Yeah, the reason why we observe a day like that is to remember what we're standing against, not just what we're standing for. Uh, There are pictures from those gruesome days in the Holocaust of Nazi men and women, guards in the prison camps, who laughed as the Jews would go in Uh, to be killed. And they're just standing there cheering and laughing. And what a disgusting, uh, just as as disgusting as humanity gets. That was replicated this past week in New York, in the Capitol building, where a crowd in the gallery and people on the floor cheered out loud uh, at a new law where a baby in the womb is able to be killed up until the point of birth by someone who's not even a doctor. And if the baby survives, it can be killed after birth. And they cheered at that. And so we live in a a world that is lost and undone. And uh, listen, humanity is is a sinful, unrighteous thing. And uh, yes, we should stand for righteousness, but could I tell you the best way to change the ideology of someone else is to lead them to Jesus Christ because he is the life changer. He's the one who takes everything and makes it new. And if you have friends and you have people around you uh, who have such a a false ideology that they would cheer for babies to be killed, uh, the best thing that you could possibly do is continue to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And uh, that's really our message this morning the language of the unashamed. How do unashamed people talk? How do they act? How do they live their lives? Uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. We're going to return to our theme passage one last time Luke chapter 9. And as you turn there, i remind you, the notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us this morning. If I've never met you before, I'm Pastor Tony. I'm the lead pastor here at Centennial, and we're delighted at your presence and thank you for being here. You know, when people follow a cause, it's easy for everyone around them to know what the cause is. Uh, your kids at your house, they know what you like and what you don't like. You are known for your causes, whether you want to be or not. And yeah, let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Like, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save them. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. We are all known for causes, things that were for or things that we're against. And, and people know you by what you're for and what you're against. You are known for the causes that you represent. And here's really the question today. Is one of the causes that you represent Jesus? Is the main thing you're known for Jesus and the gospel? And let's get into the language of unashamed here this morning. And I'd like to talk first about this. Display Jesus. Display Jesus. We talked last week from Colossians 3 about putting on Jesus. The unashamed Jesus follower doesn't care what other people think about his wardrobe choices. They don't care what people think about us wearing Jesus Christ wherever we go. Some people go through a stage in life, and maybe you did, where they're concerned about uh, what other people think about their wardrobe choices. Maybe it was like that where you went to high school or college or whatever. But hopefully, uh, there comes a time when you aren't concerned what other people feel about your car hearts, right? How many of you wear Carhartts? How many of you are going to keep wearing them no matter what anybody thinks? See, I've proven my point. Uh, how many of you are BSU fans? How many of you have own at least one item of, that has says BSU on it? How many of you probably own a few more than one? Okay, how many of you, somebody in your family owns at least like 20? Uh, You are going to stop wearing your BSU items if a Vandal fan makes fun of you? I don't see any hands. Right? Now, how many of you, God bless you, how many of you are Idaho Vandals fans here this morning? God bless you, God bless you. And how many of you, no matter how bad it gets, you're going to keep wearing your gear? All right, see, I like that. I like people who stand, they stand strong in the face of adversity. Yeah. You know, there, there's been a lot of talk this past week about a certain hat in the United States driving people to insanity, right? People wear this hat and all of a sudden people go rabid like they've been bit in Old Yeller uh, by the pigs. Do you remember the pigs in Old Yeller? They bit the dog and then they put the dog down and I cried. Did you cry? You guys cry in Old Yeller? I don't know how we got from Make America Great Again to Old Yeller, but it can happen here at church. Uh, Here's the interesting thing. Many of the people who would never change their wardrobe because of what other people think are still susceptible to hiding their spiritual wardrobe. They don't want to, quote-unquote, wear religion on their sleeve. They don't want to be seen as a fanatic they don't want to come across too strongly. Now, you don't think that way about your clothes or your team or your cause, but somehow you think that way about your Savior. And displaying Jesus is only for Sundays uh, or it's only with other Christians instead of a lifelong 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week pursuit. Now, if you aren't willing to display the team colors, There's a question about whether or not you really support the team. Do the people at your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your circle of friends, know that you're on the Jesus team? If they don't, it's time to deal with the reality of living ashamed. Now, living ashamed is something that we're all susceptible to. It happened to Peter as he denied Christ and went on to become uh, the great voice for God in Acts chapter 2, but you know, if you're ashamed of Jesus, someday he's going to be ashamed of you, and maybe today is the day to come to grips with this issue. Uh, If you aren't worried about what somebody else thinks of your sweatshirt, why would you be worried what he or she thinks of your Savior? I want you in your heart right now, ask yourself, why is it that you'd be worried about that? If you aren't worried what the person across the room thinks of your shoe choice, why would you be worried what they think about your God choice? Now, my shoes are about 95% Crocs, and I'm really not concerned what anybody else thinks about them. If you don't like my Crocs, uh, why in the world would I let that bother me? Yeah, that's what I wear, and my wife thinks uh, she actually has stated before that I have too many Crocs. Yeah, I don't know; it's a fine line. Like, is fifty too many? Is sixty too many? Where do you draw the line, right on on that? And plus, I have been repeatedly tricked by the Croc people during Croctober. <laughs> I mean, they give you the deal like buy two, get two free. Uh, buy two at 70% off, get three at, at 50% off. They give you these deals, right? And so I have uh, some Kansas City Royals Crocs, Jim, that I pull out during the summer, during baseball season. You're a baseball fan, so kind <laughs> of... Don't, don't mess me up. Don't mess me up. <laughs> My message, Jim. Goodness gracious. Uh, and I have croc slippers. Uh, I have some other Crocs that people, it confuses them, but I don't let it bother me. Uh, they're winter Crocs, and they have fuzz. And and when, they're called Blitzen convertibles. And when I wear them, people ask me, are you wearing slippers? And I don't know, I'm wearing Crocs, right? And, and so, you know, it doesn't bother me what you think of that. Uh, Pastor Cole, he'll come into my office sometimes and just shake his head like this and walk back out. Uh, you know, It's it's crazy that I don't worry about that, but there are times when I don't mention Jesus because I'm concerned what another person will say. And maybe you're like me. And what if we committed to displaying Jesus as the number one cause in our lives? Wouldn't that be something? Uh, That's where the language of unashamed starts. It starts with displaying Jesus. And then let's see this. Develop friendships. Develop friendships. Jesus was repeatedly moved to tears by uh, the broken human beings around him. Uh, He had compassion on the multitudes because they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And if we're going to follow him, we have to care enough for others to start real relationships with them. Many times as a pastor, I have people approach me uh, about how to get one of their lost friends or their lost family members found. And, And when I ask, well, why don't you help to point them to God? I hear the same things over and over. Well, I could never do that. I just wouldn't know what to say. That's really not my gift. That's not my personality. I'd mess it up. That's what pastors are for. That's what professionals are for. But when we read the Bible, guess what we find? There are no professionals. There are just Christ followers. And Christ followers are all, A-L-L, called, equipped, and expected to share the gospel. No exceptions. You know, there's an alarming trend in churches just like ours. And listen, this, this is such an alarming trend. Here's what it is. The longer a person attends church, the fewer evangelistic discussions they engage in with family members and friends. Fewer presentations of the life-changing plan of salvation are given. Uh, fewer invitations to church are offered. And uh, this is mostly because uh, long-term Christ followers have fewer and fewer friends outside of the faith and it's not that they're doing it on purpose they just don't have as many connections that are outside of their Christian circles and and so people well meaning people I think sometimes make deals with God and they say God I'll attend every Bible study and I'll volunteer and I'll go to small group and I'll show up at church just let me off the evangelism hook don't make me share my faith and Christ followers who are supposed to be walking toward people who need redemption, instead get themselves into the position of constantly walking away from people who need redemption. And they actually start avoiding non-believers. They go to great lengths to not have to talk to people Christ came to redeem. Now, Christians don't say all this out loud, okay? Uh, you don't know have people walk up to you and say, uh, boy, I really don't like unsaved people. Now, people don't say that out loud. At least most people. Uh, But if you know the signals, you can see it. They'll say things like this. I'm sick and tired of the filthy mouth of this guy at work. You wouldn't believe the morals of my neighbor, the partying that goes on over there. And and I'm going to set my alarm to Christian music in the morning, and I'm going to get up and email my Christian friends, and at lunch, I'm going to sit by myself and read my Bible And in the evenings, I'm going to spend time with my family or attend a church event. Here's the problem. If we're never around lost people, we can't ever reach them. Now try this. As you pull into your driveway, fight the temptation to look past your neighbor and stop long enough to wonder why God chose to put the two of you on the same block to begin with. And when you drop off your dry cleaning or pick up your prescription, take a good look at the clerk and consider that this is a person that Jesus loves. Christ followers in all sorts of relationships and neighborhoods, we have to make the bold decision to develop friendships with people who need God and to care for them. And when we make the effort to develop friendships, we just might be the one the Holy Spirit uses to engage someone else with the gospel. When I was in Uganda, I, I met Brother Paul uh, just a couple weeks ago. And, and Paul, was, uh, he was hit with polio when he was about a year old, and there's no cure. In, and the bottom sections of his legs have never worked. And so since he was a small child, uh, Paul has been crawling on his hands and knees. And uh, one of his shoulders is also uh, totally damaged by polio. And so he has to crawl inverted with one of his arms. Uh, he drags around his useless legs everywhere. And Uganda, uh, believe it or not, they don't have any ADA codes. Okay? They don't have any, uh, anything for handicap. They don't have sidewalks. Uh, They don't have wheelchairs. I didn't see one the whole time I was there. And and so Paul has a motor trike that he can ride to and from places. And once he gets where he's going, he crawls. Uh, But Paul has a heart for people. He he actually uh, is training to be a pastor. And I've never seen anyone so good at developing friendships. People very easily open up to Paul, and he uh, has been given entrance into their lives to share Jesus. Uh, We were waiting for a a car ferry to go over to the islands in Lake Victoria. And, And Paul opened the van door, and as he sat in the van, he started to chat up some of the folks near to us, right from the seat of the van, and he ended up teaching them who Jesus was, and made sure that one of his friends gave all of them a John and Romans booklet, in their language. Yeah, let's see the video. Yeah, and, and, and Paul, here's the, the miraculous, wonderful thing about him. The journey we went on to these places in Lake Victoria, he goes on this journey himself by himself, twice a month to preach and teach in the fishing villages on the shores of Lake Victoria and on the islands in the northern part of the lake. And he rides his motor trike uh, about 40 kilometers on the roughest road you could ever imagine. Then he takes a car ferry uh, across to one of the islands. He drives across that island about another 40 kilometers and meets a fishing boat. Uh, he crawls over. And kind of rolls into the fishing boat. And then the fishing boat carries him across to the other islands. Here he is uh, crawling into the fishing boat. And uh, I was just blown away by this man's faith. Uh, There's a picture of him in the boat. And then one of the fishing villages we went to minister to. uh, They don't have any church. And uh, Paul uh, helped to preach the gospel to them. We actually took a wheelbarrow uh, over on the boat with us. So that it'd be easier to move Paul around on the islands. And I was so blessed to meet this brother. I'm humbled by his dedication to the Lord. And it's remarkable his desire to develop friendships with the people around him. Uh, I would say of Paul, after meeting him and spending a few days with him, that Jesus is really what he lives for. I I didn't find anything else that he was for or against. I just found out that he really loves Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I wonder if the first thing we were known for is Jesus how we could be a part of other people's lives as we develop friendships. And of Pastor Paul, there's only one reason why God is using him in this way. It's because he's made himself available to be used. You know what holds most of us back from being used by God? We've never made ourselves available. We've never opened up our hearts to being used by God. And so really the question is, what's stopping us from developing friendships to God's glory? Let's talk about this next part, discover stories. You know, Jesus was a master at everything, including discovering the stories and the lives around him. And he was able to discover uh, the pressing needs of their lives so that he could then meet their primary need. And there are times where we have the right motives in giving people bold truth, but we fail to understand that they might not listen to his story until we listen to their stories, right? When we new, meet new people, uh, the tendency when we new, meet new people, because we're it's kind of awkward and we kind of don't know what to say, and so what do we usually talk about? Myself. I talk about myself, and because... Somehow I think that that's what they wanted to talk about. Do you know what they want to talk about? Them. Right? So when we meet new people, we have to resist the temptation to talk about ourselves. And we have to ask them questions about themselves. Because they like to talk about themselves. And in just a few questions, when we meet a new person, we find out what the pressing needs of their lives are. It didn't take many questions at all to find out what's really going on in that life. And then we know how to move further further into the story of Jesus. And to find out their stories, though, we have to be in proximity to them. We have to build bridges instead of walls. And uh, I know there's a lot of talk about walls right now on a political scene. But as Christians, can I tell you this? The only thing that's going to last forever is the things that Jesus is a part of. And whether we like it or not, politics is not going to last forever. Can I get an amen? Right? It's not going to last forever. And I tell you what, a lot of times we are susceptible to not wearing Jesus first we are susceptible to wearing our political ideology first or our opinions first. And even when we talk to people, sometimes that's the first thing that we have to put out there. And what if we were known more for Jesus than we were for our political ideology? Now you say, Pastor, you don't want us to believe the right things and vote the right way. Yeah, 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 I want you to do all that. I believe the same way a lot of you do and I want you to practice the right uh, ideology and vote the right way and do all those things. But I tell you that, this, those things won't last forever. Jesus will. And if we don't meet people's primary need, the pressing needs are all gonna pass away. We have to remember that lost people, when we find them, they're not gonna be very holy. Right? Uh, they're going to probably be pretty rough around the age, edges. All the, after all, they're heathen. And, and you can't expect heathen to act holy. Sometimes we do. And as I said at the outset, the best way we can change the ideology of this world is to reach people for Jesus Christ. Uh, because we have to trust God in, in using these personalities and these connections that he gives us. So that we can hear their stories. You know, there were a lot of different personalities found even in scripture. Uh, Peter uh, was a straight shooter and sometimes too straight where he would put his foot right in his mouth. But you know, Peter never backed away from laying out his beliefs. He had a confrontational style. And maybe some people here today have that same style. Peter put his finger in the face of thousands of people and said, You're the ones who crucified the Messiah. And then they said, what what should we do about it? And he said, repent, repent, trust in Jesus. And 3,000 souls repented that day and were baptized and added to the church. So Peter had a confrontational style, but Paul had more of an intellectual style to approaching faith. And and his sermon uh, in Acts 17 is this masterpiece of an intellectual style. His letters in the New Testament reflect almost a legal approach to his arguments. Jesus is best known for having an interpersonal approach. Uh, He made himself accessible to people of all backgrounds, all ages, and all experiences, including the woman at the well in John 4. And the woman at the well, she met Jesus, and then, uh, after she trusted Jesus, she used an invitational style. She went back into the city and told all her friends, Come see a man who knew my whole story. Come see a man who told me all things which I did. Is not this the Christ? In Acts 9, there was a saint named Dorcas or Tabitha, a dear Christian lady. And the way that she interacted with people is she helped mend their clothes. So when their clothes would tear, they would go take their clothes to Dorcas and she would mend their clothes. And she would say, hey, while I'm mending your clothes... Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. And they'd sit right there in her shop and hear who Jesus was. And she did it by serving. Uh, I've read just about everything written by Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee uses a testimonial approach to tell of his story of going from an antagonistic atheist. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he began to investigate whether Jesus was real. And it led him not only to become a Christian, but he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And you can actually look that up on Netflix. It's a movie now. Uh, He's written The Case for Faith and The Case for Miracles and all sorts of great books. But you know, whatever style God's given you, you can use it for his glory if you're willing to develop friendships and discover stories. But that's not enough. See, as God gives you a sphere of influence... The last thing you have to do is discern next steps. It's not enough for us just to display Jesus. We have to use words. Right? We have to talk about who Jesus is. Uh, It's not enough to develop friendships and discover stories. We actually have to express that Jesus is the only way to God. In many cases, uh, you have to be with people. And you have to earn their trust. And you have to discover their stories to know what resources to even provide. And thankfully, God's Spirit is present with the believer to let us know both the timing and the wording for each situation. So many believers are afraid that they don't know enough to tell another person about Christ. You want to know the truth? Most of the people you talk to know less about the Bible than you do. Right? Most of them do. Uh, most of them have heard things from a, a professor or a friend or from the internet, and, and they kind of know a few things to be able to say, but a lot of times they're just saying it because they don't know anything else to say, and it'd be kind of like uh, if I went to have lunch with a NASA astronaut, and I tried to uh, kind of keep up with him intellectually and told some stories uh, but the only stories I really knew were lines from Apollo 13, right? <laughs> I mean, talking along like the reciprocator cuff has blown a blah, blah, blah. Houston, we have a problem. Uh, and there, there would be a problem because he would know that I don't know what I'm talking about. And when believers talk to non-believers, and non-believers try to uh, give out some of those things about the Bible, a lot of times it's, it's just lingo, right? They'll say things like, well, the Bible is just full of contradictions, so I don't know if I can believe it. And uh, you know what I always, a lot of times do, if, if we have a relationship, I'll hand them my Bible and say, you know what? I really want to help you. Can you show me one of the contradictions you're talking about? I've never had anybody show me one. They always say, well, I've just heard about a lot of those. And I've heard how the Bible came to us by man, and all these different things that, that people say uh, is just sometimes because they don't know what else to say. And and what I'm telling you is that in love, you can speak the truth, because most of the people you're talking to, they want truth. And God wants to use you to help them move closer to him. And sometimes you'll be the one who plants a seed. And sometimes you'll be the one who waters a, a seed that's already been planted. And sometimes God will allow you to be present when a person commits his or her life to Christ. And whatever the next step is, God gets the glory and we get to be a part. But you know, we have to be willing to have our days interrupted by someone else's need. And we have to be willing to listen to the Spirit's whispers. And we have to be ready to give an answer to every person who asks about the hope inside of us. It's speaking the language of the unashamed, displaying the light of Jesus, To the dark world around us. Why? Because they must have the light. And I'll tell you this. If you don't get anything else from the message. Please get this. No one has ever become a Christian. By accident. It's never happened. No one's ever drifted into being saved. No one's ever been born a Christian. Uh, Being saved. Is a personal. Repentance and faith decision that only comes through the knowledge that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And none of our friends will ever hear without a witness. None of them will accidentally be born again. That's why we have to discern next steps. And Sometimes we get to see the fruit of our witness and other times we don't, but that doesn't mean there's no fruit. I was reading a great story the other day uh, from Jim Simbla, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Yeah, this is uh, from Decision Magazine. In 1921, uh, a missionary couple named David and Svea Flood went from Sweden to the heart of Africa, yeah, to the Belgian Congo. Today it's known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's been known as Zaire. Uh, they determined to take the gospel into this remote area, and so they left the mission headquarters, and they went out to this village called Indolera, and uh, they were uh, rebuffed by the chief. He wouldn't even let them come into town. And, And so they went down about a half mile away, and they built a mud hut, and they prayed for spiritual breakthrough. But there was none. And in fact, their only contact with the villagers was this little boy who was allowed to come down and sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. And at Svea Flood, she was just a tiny woman, uh, four feet, eight inches tall. So about basically my my height there. And and she decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, that she would try to lead the boy to know Jesus. And in fact, she succeeded, and, and he prayed and asked Jesus to be a savior. But there were no other encouragements. Malaria kept coming back. Uh, Their friends who had come with them, the Eriksons, decided to go back to the central mission station. Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. The chief of the village softened enough to allow uh, the village midwife, at least, to come and help her. She had a little girl. They named her Aina. Uh, But Svea was so weak from malaria that she died when Aina was only 17 days old. And inside David Flood, something snapped. He dug his wife's grave. He took his daughter down to the Ericsons at the Central Mission Station. And he said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I can't care for this baby. God has ruined my life. And he abandoned everything. He didn't just reject his calling. He totally rejected God. Well, the ericsons they did their best to care for the little girl. But within eight months, they both died of another illness. And the baby uh, was cared for by some American missionaries who changed the, the girl's name to Agnes or Aggie. And they brought her back to the U.S. when she was three. They were afraid to go back to Africa because they didn't want to lose Aggie from some legal obstacle. And, and so they stayed in South Dakota... And they switched from mission work to pastoral ministry. That's how Aggie grew up in South Dakota and attended Bible college in Minneapolis, where she met and married a man named Dewey Hurst. Well, years passed, and they enjoyed fruitful ministry. They had a couple kids. And one day, she went out to get the mail, and inside of the mailbox was a Swedish religious magazine. She had no idea who sent it. She couldn't read the words. But as she read, or she couldn't read, but as she looked through the magazine, there was a photo that stopped her cold. In a primitive setting, there was a grave with a white cross. And on the cross was the name Svea Flood. Aggie jumped in the car and she went to find someone who could translate the article. And she found out it was about missionaries who had gone to a village called Indalera a long time ago. It was about the birth of a baby and the death of a mother and one little African boy who had been led to Christ. And the article continued and talked about after the missionaries left, uh, the boy had grown up and persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. And gradually, in that school, he won all of his students to Christ. And and the students won their parents to Christ. And now, even the chief had become a Christian. There were 600 Christian believers in that village. A few years later, Dewey and Aggie were able to attend a conference in London where a report was given from Zaire, former Belgian Congo, And the superintendent said that the gospel was spreading rapidly in the country, and there were now over 110,000 baptized believers. Aggie went up afterward to ask him if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French. It was Svea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents, before you were born. You must come to Africa to see. And Aggie went to Africa, and as she stood there by her mother's grave, the man took his picture, had his picture taken with her, and he said, Your mother is the most famous person in our history. Because of her sacrifice, we know Jesus. Now think about this: the floods. Didn't think their work had amounted to anything. Uh, David turned his back on God and for the next 50 years was a drunk in Sweden. The girl was able to go and meet him before he died and show him the photo and tell him the story, and he renewed his relationship with God at the very end of his life. But the floods, they didn't think their their work had amounted to anything. But God is the one who gives the increase. And all he asks us to do is to be faithful to walk across the room and display Jesus, develop friendships, discover stories, and discern next steps. And God wants to use you. But first, you have to be willing to speak the language of the unashamed. Jesus said, if any man will come after me... Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Follow me. As we finish up this series, come after me. I, I wonder what does God want you to do in and through this year? What is your next step? Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you ever been baptized to show others you believe in Jesus? Or Are you part of a small group? Have you taken uh, Discovering Church Membership Class 101 or any of our other Next Step classes? Uh, Have you ever uh, done one-on-one discipleship with a personal life coach? As we close the series, I'm going to ask you to pull out your commitment card from the bulletin. And if God is speaking to you in any way and there's a commitment you need to make and a next step you need to make, uh, just write your name on there. And put what you believe God wants your next step to be. And I'm going to pray a a special prayer in just a second to close out the series. And If you're making a decision about following Jesus and taking a next step, maybe you need to be saved and and have Jesus in your life. Maybe you you want to join a small group. Uh, Maybe you need to get into discipleship with a trained life coach, uh, one-on-one. Make sure you give this card to Pastor Cole today. As you go in the lobby after we dismiss. And if you'd like to uh, do any of these things. We can connect you with your next step. We are here to help you. The pastors of a local church. Ephesians 4 says. Have been given by God. To equip people to serve. That's what we're here for. And we'd love to help you with whatever God wants you to do. And so mark that on your card today. And don't keep it to yourself. Make sure you share that with Pastor Cole as you go out this morning. Let me pray with you. Let's ask God to work.